All right, Ambush. Today we are joined by the bass player for one of my personal favorite bands, but also one of the most renowned bands to come out of the Great White North, out of Canada. And not only is he a bass player for this incredible band, he also happens to be a video game uh, music producer as well for some games that you may have played and today we are here to dive behind a brand new ep entitled sun shower with stuart chatwood bass player of the tea party how's it going today stuart it's going great yeah no it's been very busy for us after uh, the quiet times during covid uh we've released an ep re-released uh our first independent record uh, in Europe. They've combined the two EPs into a new album. And then myself, I've released uh, just the early access version of my new soundtrack to uh, a video game called Darkest Dungeon 2. So, Wow. So it's uh, been very busy. Go from pretty much nothing happening at all, waiting, 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 and then boom, everything is just coming at you in waves. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> Awesome. So, of course, we actually have had one Jeff Burroughs on the show before, back when you guys released the track Summertime, which was our first taste of this new EP. But, of course, there's four other songs. And I'd love to know a little bit about what was it like for your side of the production of this album? Because I know that this took place a couple of years ago. Yeah, we were very fortunate that we were all together in Vancouver in October 2019, and we were able to head to the Armory Studios, which is an incredible studio that was owned by Bruce Fairbain, who worked, I think, with Aerosmith and Bon Jovi and a few of the bigger acts. Um, his family, since Bruce has now passed away, uh, his family runs it as a trust. But uh, it's a top-of-the-line studio, and just you really need that to get the amazing drum sounds and you know like we don't use samples for anything obviously so everything's recorded live um so we were very lucky that october 2019 we had it in there for a week and uh we were able to lay down basically you call them the bad tracks but it's the foundation of the record so you've got the bass the drums the beginnings of the guitar and maybe an initial vocal just so jeff martin can then take that back to australia where he lives and at his home studio, he can finish his extra guitars uh, called overdubs and uh, his vocals. Mm-hmm. Uh, it took a long time, though. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> Our last full record for people in Europe was 2014 and for Canada, 2014, uh, The Ocean at the End. And it took a while to get out Black River, which was uh, the first EP in our plan. Because we decided that instead of putting out an album every couple of years, let's put an EP out more rapidly. Because uh, quite often you put an album out and the singles, they get one or two shots at becoming, you know, more recognizable to people and, you know, either through airplay or video play, whatever. And uh, the songs are kind of like your children. And if they get ignored, it's, you know, it's a very sad time. You spend a lot of time on these songs. So we thought that split the album into two and we had Black River in 2019. And now we have the second part, Sun Shower. So in Europe, they've combined those two EPs into Blood Moon Rising, which is a full-length record. But, um, you know, just by doing it this way, you know, we're able to get, you know, I think four or five tracks that can be the focus of attention for people. And hopefully, because you never know what you're going to deal with at radio, at the record company, at your management office, you know, people change, attitudes change. So it's just good to have time go by and to have 
you know, more chances that, because ultimately we want people to hear the music. So, Well, also with today's streaming uh, world as well, too, it's sometimes maybe you release a couple singles and maybe they get a little bit more life and sometimes people don't maybe get through an entire album. So maybe an EP is just a little bit more of a uh, easier chunk for some people to break through as well. Yeah. I mean, so often nowadays you're a fan of a particular artist, whether it be an author, you know, a, a composer, a musician, and they'll release something that you weren't aware of. And you're like, how did I miss that? <laughs> you know, <laughs> and in, you know, that's just the world we live in now. We're bombarded with stuff. So unless you're, you know, sometimes you can hit that subscribe button on YouTube. And if you don't hit the bell beside it, YouTube's algorithm won't give you a video or whatever. So it's so difficult to to follow artists that you like and enjoy and you know like i said we're bombarded so it's only human nature that you know we can only handle so much information um so i mean we're in the process now of just you know letting people know about this but uh it is funny though um we're on tour once playing kingston ontario and we played the show and the show i think was sold out you know it was a smaller theater um like 700 seats or something and um, we went to a bar afterwards, and Jeff Martin, our singer, is pretty recognizable. He looks a bit like Jim Morrison, according to some people. We went to the bar, and uh, some of our biggest fans were at the bar, and they're like, oh my god, Jeff Martin's at our bar. <laughs> what are you doing here? He's like, I just finished my concert. And they're like, no, you're kidding, down the street. <laughs> so it's just the world we live in now, though. So um, yeah. So if you hear us really promoting something a lot, you know, take it to heart that you know it's done... Uh, with the knowledge that you know we're not going to reach everyone you know like the days of the the mono culture where everyone got all their information from a few radio stations and much music uh you know it's over you know like if you paid attention to the press you might believe that hip-hop is like massive and all ruling but then you go to europe to see some festivals and you're like oh my god heavy metal is all ruling and you know there are all these different forums that maybe don't have the publicity that you know some of the more prominent uh, genres of music have. But things, you know, trust me, things are festering underneath, you know, in all genres. So, and, um, you know, with Spotify and things like that, we can see where our music is being heard around the world. And it's pretty exciting because like a city like Istanbul, Turkey, albeit it's a big city, like 10 million people live in the area of uh, Istanbul, but uh, it's like our fourth or fifth uh, biggest following city for the Tea Party in the world. You know, and I never would have thought that, you know, like there's like Toronto, Montreal, Sydney, Melbourne, Istanbul. It's like, huh? <laughs> Canada, Australia, members of the bands live in both of those places. That makes sense. Oh, wait, but what the middle of Europe? But huh? I'll tell you a little backstory. We shot a video for the Bazaar in Istanbul. We never played a concert there ever, but we shot a video and it was on the rooftop. So taking advantage of the beautiful scenery, beautiful city, former capital of the Roman Empire. Um, but we had a, a, a beautiful dancer with us and the press came and interviewed us, took photos of us, and then they stuck around and took photos of the beautiful dancer. And we got to the airport after four or five days shooting and we were on the front cover of the newspaper, but it wasn't us. It was the dancer. <laughs> <laughs> and we were on page 37 on the inside. So. But, uh, I mean, since that video and, you know, some of our instruments are reminiscent of, you know, or the melodies are reminiscent. Actually, we were having dinner one night during that video shoot 
and some street musicians were playing something that sounded like the bazaar. We had already written the bazaar, so we didn't know that, you know, it was, you know, a theme in folk music over there. Um, so, uh, I think people hear the bazaar, for example, and they like, oh, wow, these guys like Turkish music. So I'm going to like them. So come by it naturally, I guess. Hey, whatever it connects it to, that's part of the beauty of music is everybody sort of takes their own interpretation of a song, of a sound, and they sort of make their own sort of life out of it. Even if you had a different idea for it, it becomes its own little thing, sort of like children, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. No, uh, I mean, we're big fans of that. You know, there's uh, an African guitarist right now. Uh, I would have to search his name right now. It escapes me. But uh, he's a, a solo guitarist and he's got a band as well. Uh, they put out a record and it's one of the most acclaimed records this year because he's taken his Turag music, and uh, which is uh, West Africa, you know, just uh, in the area north of Nigeria and to the west of Nigeria, I believe. But um, you know, he has his guitar, bass, and drums, but then he has his melodies from his folk music. And just the two combining makes something compelling and new for people. And to a certain extent, we were doing the same thing, but going the other way with our music. You know, we had the world music instruments. Uh, we didn't play them in the same way. You know, uh, you know, for example, Nusrat Fatih Ali Khan, his music with his harmonium, I would play harmonium different than he did uh, with his band. Um, so. We, we were interpreting things a little differently. We created something new. I mean, some people accused us of cultural, you know, uh, appropriation and just, uh, you know, co-opting things because we weren't authentic enough in their eyes. But for us, you know, we feel that any exposure for people leads, you know, it can lead you down a path that you can go more authentic, you know? I mean, for us, Peter Gabriel and his real world record label was a real touchstone uh, of influence um, the way he would gather artists around the world and bring them to Bath, England, a small town called Box, just outside of Bath, where his real-world studios were, and give them the opportunity to record at state-of-the-art equipment and make their, you know, archaic records sound, you know, beautiful and modern. So, and sort of do a time capsule, you know, of things. So, very influential, very influential on our band. Mm-hmm. Well, and how does music grow if? And how does culture grow if people don't continue to explore, if they don't continue to learn? I mean, how do we grow, right? Yeah, you're just constantly trying to reinterpret your own things of your, your past relatives, which, I mean, can lead you, you know, to certain things and combining certain things. But it's a very limited set of toys you get to play with then. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Of course, I'd love to dive a little bit further into this latest ep as well Uh, i mentioned there was the first single that came out earlier this year with summertime but before the ep dropped you also had a second single which uh brought in let's say a new toy to uh play with in a feature with one todd kearns for hole in my heart so take us a little bit behind hole in my heart and what was it like to work with todd um we met todd for the most part, in 1997, during the Edgefast tour, we were one of the headliners. And we had a, an infamous party in Montreal that raged till five in the morning. And uh, I think Age of Electric were one of the ba- last bands to leave. <laughs> I think, um, you know, at that time, we had just broken through where we were getting paid much more money uh, than we had prior, uh, had received prior. Uh, because we were headlining this tour. And, and we thought, okay, let's take some of this money and have a giant party. 
<laughs> so we bought, you know, like $5,000 worth of drinks for all the bands and everyone came around and, you know, had a good time, but they missed their next show in Ottawa. <laughs> so they showed up, I think at 2.30 and they were set to go on at four o'clock and the promoter just said, nope, we've already scrapped your set. And it's like, oh no. <laughs> so uh, on that whole tour, we got to hang out with them and, you know, we loved remote control and all the age of electric music, of course, but Todd uh, just moved in the same circles as us and, you know, we knew he was a great singer. So we'd play this uh, charity show in Toronto uh, for uh, uh, men against violence towards women, the White Ribbon Campaign. And they'd have a, a great show at the uh, Phoenix uh, Concert Theater in Toronto. And we put together a band uh, with just the three of us and Todd as a singer. And um, actually, Randy Lennox, the president of Universal Records at the time, he saw the show and he's like, you guys need to form a band. This is good. <laughs> but we'd do some great covers, have a great time. That led to us, you know, calling Todd up, who lived in Vancouver later, uh, just to come see us at the Commodore and, you know, jam out for the encore. And then right at the end of 2005, when the Tea Party broke up, we were actually recording some covers and different songs with Todd just as a side project. And that never got finished. But Hole in My Heart was one of the ones that we, we started in 2002. And then Todd... Uh, sang sang on the track in 2005 september and um we just left it on the shelf until you know this uh sunshower ep came about and we're looking for songs sort of you know uh agreed with what we had done on black river so the final record would be uh harmonious so we cut hole in my heart again at the armory studios uh aforementioned armory studios and then uh we called Todd up, who's in Vegas now, and we had him uh, lay down a backing vocal. And just, uh, he can hit those notes still that are very high. That uh, Jeff Martin, as he ages, is getting more of a, a Leonard Cohen, you know, deep baritone. So uh, the two vocals work well together. So. Oh, no, it uh, works very well together. The song is fantastic, and it shows a different side of this EP. And that's another thing that I really love about uh, Sun Shower here, is it just sort of, you get even though it's only five songs, and even with Black River 2, there's very limited amount of songs, but you get a taste of all of those various different styles of the tea party, where like summertime, you get that party rock track. And like with a song like specifically Sun Shower, where you get exactly like that, maybe older school, that more mellow tea party feel. I love how you guys have really captured exactly what the band is inside of these songs. Yeah, I, I would say the only thing missing on this EP maybe would be the uh, the world music and the electronics. Um, but when we get together and write songs in each other's presence, you tend to revert back to what you know best. And what we know best is rock music. We grew up across from Detroit, where there were four amazing rock stations when we were like 10 and 12 years old. And, you know, uh, by that age, we knew all the rock songs. We didn't know how to play them. We didn't know the obscure rock songs, but we knew all the popular ones. So come high school, we got more into post-punk and the stuff out of England um, in the late 70s, early 80s. And um, when we were 18 and a little better on our instruments, that's when we rediscovered all the the deep tracks off the Zeppelin records and the deep tracks from Hendrix and because we could play a lot better and we could perform them. So that was really the basis when the band formed. You know, we were a blues rock band. And that's what we reverted to, really, when we wrote some of the stuff off uh, the Sunshower EP. So, 
going back to the basics. It's, it's more so when we're in each other's presence for a longer period that we delve into uh, the world music stuff. Um, like in 1995, 1994, rather, we were touring across America and listened to, you know, the, the, the real world music stuff, but also, uh, Dad Can Dance, which is a duo out of England. And, uh, there's an Irish singer and a, a New Zealand singer and, uh, just the, uh, incorporate Celtic music and just stuff from around the world. And it's just a more folky version of what we were doing really. Um, so that played a heavy hand on what we did on the edge of the twilight. So it's a situation like that that needs to occur again, probably for the world music stuff to to find its way onto the record again. Mm-hmm. Awesome, perfect. And you mentioned sort of that uh, that early sounds of the Tea Party, and you also mentioned earlier that you guys did exactly release a thirty uh, year anniversary of that first Tea Party album. So not just reliving some of that, but also taking it straight back and also giving some of it. So what was it like to re-release sort of that piece of history? Well, we couldn't remix it because we recorded it on some analog equipment that's just impossible to find now. But uh, so we, we gave it a gentle remaster and we brought up the levels a bit. So it sounds, you know, it doesn't sound modern by any means. You know, it'll stand out by a mile from our other recordings, but uh, it gives you an insight, an authentic insight into a young band that wanted to record themselves, that learned, you know, along the way. You know, we started recording ourselves when we were like 14 years old and had a, a tape-to-tape deck and you'd record one track and then move that tape over to the track B and then the new t- uh, tape would be inserted and then two things would be combined, you know, and you could combine, you know, what you recorded with a live thing onto the third cassette and, you know, it was quite complicated, but that's how we recorded our first songs before four track. Um, you felt like the Beatles and George Martin, really <laughs> like planning things out, you know, okay, this is going to be lower frequency, which happens as you pass through each generation of recording. So let's record this stuff first and leave the high frequency stuff to the end, you know, but, uh, you know, so with the indie, it was recorded in 1991. We made 3000 records. They sold out rapidly. And there were only a few available on eBay for, I think at its peak, maybe $400 US. And people were tending just to, to do CDR rips of it, copies of it. So we thought, you know, let's put something out that's an authentic, approved release so that anyone that wants to hear it. And of course, now it's on streaming sites. So you can go on to Spotify or Apple Music and just, you know, search for the first re- uh, record, the remastered first record. And get an idea of you know what a blues rock band from windsor ontario sounds like (laughs) exactly you can get that new age feel of it but of course if you want to hold it physically in your hand you can go ahead and do that as well by checking out the tea parties website go ahead and support awesome music support the artists that you support as well so they can continue creating amazing music for you, whether it's in the form of a band, whether it's in the form of video games as well. And you mentioned there earlier uh, that you happen to be working on the Darkest Dungeon 2 soundtrack. And Darkest Dungeon 1 was a game that you also did the soundtrack to that sort of uh, blew up there. And this second game is definitely getting a lot more attention uh, this time around, cover cover of PC Gamer, which is just incredible. And uh, for an independent game, we went from four employees to twenty seven employees. And you know, so the company's run by two great guys, Chris and Tyler. And just you know, they're just investing everything back into Vancouver 
jobs really and uh just supporting the industry uh they have a place a high value in artwork and uh the narration in the game and the music of the game so uh for you wouldn't know it's an indie game if you played it so that's for sure but um i've been very blessed in my soundtrack career you know i worked on seven prince of persia's which were massive hits and then you know uh the first darkest dungeon sold five million copies and you know, I don't want to tell you the number, but a lot of people bought the soundtrack, which just blew me away because I didn't think people bought soundtracks anymore. But um, I'm very blessed, you know, to have the opportunity to supply music for the game. And, uh, you know, so we're working on the sequel, which is called Early Access, the release version that it's in right now. Um, so we spend a whole year taking feedback from gamers that play the game and, you know, what they like and what they hate so we can improve it for the final release. So you can only buy it right now on the Epic Game Store. Uh, my soundtrack is also available there, or Bandcamp, or my website. So um, after a year, though, it'll come out on all formats because the original game was out on you know iOS devices, so iPads, iPhones, uh, Android devices, I think uh, Xbox, PlayStation, uh, Switch. So yeah, so it's fun w- watching it all happen. So. Well, it's uh, much more behind this game this time around, so I cannot wait to uh, see what comes of it. And like you mentioned there, the early access is available on the Epic Game Store, and you can go ahead and hear a little bit of that Epic sound track. Get yourself a little bit of a teaser of a taste of what is going to be coming your way with that by doing exactly that, going out and checking this game, supporting incredible artists yeah there's a few cuts already on youtube so if you follow my youtube channel you can hear the stuff for free as well if you you know you know i think it's going to come out on spotify apple music maybe in the new year so hey that's uh something that you've seen sort of take a rise inside of like spotify to video game music has actually become like very popular on streaming platforms as well which blows my mind yeah, you just reached the world, you know, and it's, it's, I mean, I know we talked about that monoculture, but, uh, you know, there's only so many popular video games, you know, and they just had the video game awards, for example, but, um, you know, to think all the two to three billion video game players are only playing this, these handful of games is just, you know, incredible amount of focus. So I know from my feedback, you know, I have followers, you know, from, 160 countries around the world you know which is just unheard of so absolutely did an interview with the faroe islands you know (laughs) so oh my god it's pretty remote (laughs) yes very very and that is incredible just to see like the reach that not just your music is once again the tea party but also the music that you make otherwise which Mm -hmm. at some point some people oh it's just a background soundtrack as we've talked about these soundtracks become a part of everyone's experience of their time of their memories and it's incredible just what comes of music it's truly the game is quite gothic and dark so a lot of people have been using it and looping it for their tabletop uh dungeons and dragons games too so at some point in the future i might put out a tabletop version of the soundtrack (laughs) so Tap into a new market. Exactly. i was about to say that's an entire market i didn't even think of yeah yeah exactly (laughs) Build the ambiance of the dungeons. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh my goodness. I have had a fantastic time chatting here today, Stuart. I have one last question for you. Are you ready for it? 
Okay. <laughs> All right. Perfect. So we've talked about Sun Shower building this new EP. Uh, the process of getting to actually releasing it, sort of all of these beautiful things, re-releasing some of the history of the Tea Party. But what I would love to know now is, is over these past two years here, how exactly has this time helped you to grow as a person or what has it taught you about yourself? Um, I mean, it's, there's a, been a, it's been a long period of time. So a lot of things have happened, of course, but uh, I was able to buy an acoustic guitar from a local luthier here in Vancouver and work on my finger picking, which is just, you know, a style of music, which I love. So it's very rewarding. So musically I've been doing that. Um, of course the soundtrack kept me busy for the full two years and I'm still working on that. Um, quite often the band tours in Quebec and occasionally over to Europe to, to France or Belgium, whatever. But, uh, so speaking French is something that I wanted to work on during COVID. So I actually started every single day working on French and I'm on day 610, I think now. So, uh, yeah, so I'm getting some, I'm like yourself being a Canadian, you know, I'm sure you have basic knowledge, but, you know, having the conversation and be able to respond when people talk to you in French is, you know, a goal, hopefully someday. But, um, typically I'd learned most of my French after the show in Trois-Rivières or some obscure French town where they don't speak English and they don't punish you for speaking broken French. So, and it's, it's fun breaking through in another language. I don't know if you speak any other languages yourself, but small amount, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> small, small amount. I'm learning French. I'm learning Norwegian and a couple other things. So as, as for the tea party though, we have always been, uh, separated and remote. You know, Jeff Burroughs lives in the Detroit Windsor area. Uh, Jeff Martin lives in Australia. I live in Vancouver and, even when we were in each other's cities, we weren't in everyone's back, each other's back pockets. And I think that's led to the longevity of the band. You know, we're brothers, respect each other, forgive each other. But, uh, you know, we're not, we don't have to be best friends with each other. So that's not a necessity. So. Fantastic. Well, I thank you for sharing these lessons as well as the story of this new EP, Sun Shower, this new album, Blood Moon Rising, here with us today on the Desert Tiger Podcast, Stuart. All right. Have a good day. And you as well. Oh, Ambush. Thank you for tuning on into this interview with Stuart Chatwood of the Tea Party. And you can go ahead and find the Tea Party's brand new EP, Sun Shower. If you're in the UK, if you are in Russia, you can find their new album. Blood Moon Arising on your favorite music streaming service. You can also find it on the Tea Party's web store like you heard here today. You can find those links in the show notes. And you can also go ahead and follow the band on social media as well. With that, it's time to thank Stuart for joining us here on today's episode of the show. We need to go ahead and thank the amazing Jamie from Strata Entertainment for setting this interview up. We need to thank German from OYPEditor.com for making everything sound so good. Last but not least, we need to thank you, the AM, one last time for tuning on in. If you have yet to join up with the AM, it's as easy as subscribing to the Desert Tiger podcast. And you can also help the DTP by sharing this episode giving us a five-star review, and by heading on over to DesertTigerMerch.com to copy yourself something to represent and support the show everywhere that you go. And with that, 
It's about time that we say our bye-byes, but not before I tell you to A, go tell the people that you care about that you love them, and B, go out and find your roar and then let it out into the world. And until next time, ambush. Bye-bye. The Desert Tiger Podcast.